Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. You are now listening to season six of the show. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the wonderful Jesse Engelhart. Jesse graduated from Tilburg Law School in 2016, continuing her legal education in Madrid, Rio de Janeiro, and Barcelona. Then, in 2019, she passed the Spanish bar exam. Jesse's passion for sports and football led her to work for international law firms FC Barcelona and the UEFA. In 2020, Jesse founded Sasanto Sports, a boutique sports law firm based in Barcelona. Jesse is also a mentor and lecturer at the International Business School Barcelona. So a very, very warm welcome, Jesse. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much for the intro. Yeah. Hi. Hi, everyone that's listening. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And before we dive into all your amazing projects and experiences to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? In terms of its reality, I thought you were going to say in terms of how much you enjoy the show. In terms of its reality, well, it's very far from my bed, I would say. Like, I don't think that that's what it's like. I mean, sports law is a specific discipline, but I would say like a six, maybe. Maybe like in New York, there's some corporate law firms that actually work like that. But yeah, it's not as common over here, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And okay, in terms of actually enjoying the show, what would you give it just out oh, of curiosity? I'm like an eight and a half, I guess. Like, I really, really like the show. I do feel like sometimes it's a bit repetitive, like season after season. Like, and it's, it's quite complex for like non-lawyers or law students, I would say. But for me as a lawyer, like I aspire to be Rachel Zane. Like, I love the show. Not to get married to a prince, though, but... But yeah, I really like the show. Uh, Good stuff. Well, I aspire to be more like Harvey every day, so we can both try our best (laughs) with that. But we must move swiftly on. So let's start at the beginning, Jesse. Would you mind telling our listeners a bit about your background and journey? Yeah, definitely. Well, so basically your your introduction already uh, summarized my my background, but to tell you guys a bit more. So yeah, so basically I um I'm Dutch actually and I went to law school in Holland. Um but I always knew that I wanted to live abroad and study abroad and and do something other than work, you know, like a typical 9 to 5 office job. Um, so I was kind of looking for like my, my path, I would say, cause most people that go in, that go to law school, they have a very clear vision of, okay, I want to be a specific type of lawyer, maybe like a criminal lawyer or work for like a, I don't know, in human rights or whatever. And didn't really have that. Like I liked a little bit of every type of law, but I couldn't just find one niche. Um, so somehow I ended up, um, doing some internships abroad and I did, um, a master's degree in legal practice here in Spain and Madrid in order to qualify and sit for the Spanish bar exam. And eventually I kind of stumbled across, um, sports law during one of my internships. And that's when I really kind of first realized that it w- it was possible to combine my passion for sports and my, my passion for law into a career, basically. Um, did a master's degree in sports law after that. And that's how I kind of entered the sports in the tr- industry by working for, um, like you mentioned before, FC Barcelona and UEFA. Um, and after that, I basically, I, as I mentioned before, I always knew that I didn't, didn't want like a typical office job and I really enjoy entrepreneurship. And I guess also, cause I was in touch with a lot of startups while working at Barcelona UEFA since I worked for the innovation hub. I kind of, this kind of like entrepreneurial spirit, like awoke in me. 
Um, and that's when I decided to just go out, go out there and, and establish my own law firm together with two other um, business partners. And yeah, ever since we've been working on the law firm, I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of side projects and it's been really, really, really cool. It's been challenging, but um, I'm very happy so far with the outcome. Yeah. And you're doing so many amazing things. And, you know, what an inspiring story to lots of our listeners there. And you, you touched on it, but um, we, I mentioned in the introduction as well, you, you did graduate from uh, Tilburg Law School in the Netherlands and then in 2019, continuing education in Madrid, then Rio and Barca. You know, how did you find studying abroad and where did you enjoy studying the most? Yeah, so um, I really, like I said before, I I love traveling. Um, I love studying abroad, living abroad. And I've been living in Spain for the past, I would say, five, maybe almost six years now, I guess. Um, But it's definitely challenging. Like, it wasn't easy, first of all, because I was studying law. And law in my native language is already hard, as most of you lawyers and law students can probably relate to. It's already hard to study that in your own language, let alone in a foreign language. So... I actually studied, um, for example, in I did six months in Brazil. I did international law as part of my exchange program there in Portuguese. And I already spoke some Spanish before. So I thought, okay, I'll be fine. But when, once I got there, I realized, okay, Portuguese law is very complex. Like, I mean, law in Portuguese is very complex. Um, but it was an amazing experience. Like, I absolutely loved it. I was in Rio de Janeiro for six months. And then the same thing happened in Spain. Like I remember the first day entering class of his master's in legal practice, which was in fully in Spanish. And I was the only foreign student because um, that was the master's that was required to sit for the bar exam and to become a lawyer in Spain, basically. And I just had no clue what they were talking about. Like they were mentioning words that I had zero understanding of. Like I did not understand what they were talking about. So it was I was translating things at the same time while trying to listen and while trying to understand things. And even the Spanish students were having a hard time, you know, past exams. And I had to do everything in a foreign language. So it was definitely challenging because of the language barrier and in general, because you're like, I mean, it's you're living like a whole new life basically and it's also i mean you need to have like your new social circle and all of that so it's like a lot of energy um but it's also rewarding and 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 once you actually pull through and you manage to pass those exams like you feel really good and you feel really like self-secured i would say so it was a really really enriching experience for me and to answer your question what was the most the most fun one i guess for me was brazil um and after that um now spain barcelona which i love (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I love Brazil. I was there a few years ago. I'm a massive fan of of Rio as well. And yeah, just all around Lapa and Ipanema and all around there is such cool places. And and Barcelona is also a a place I love going to holiday and and visit. So uh, very jealous that you get to spend lots of time uh, there. So I guess you, you've obviously gone on to to establish your own firm, but you, you've also been very proactive prior to doing that. And it'd be great to tell our listeners a bit more about your journey. So, you know, you were a legal intern, I believe, in, in, in Spain for a few months, so as building up your CV, so to speak. So can you explain the type of work you were assigned to there and some of the things you got involved with? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I worked for two um, law firms before. I worked for a Dutch law firm and for a German law firm. And I did a little bit of everything. I guess that's what they make interns do. So I helped out with it because they didn't have they didn't have any specific focus area of law. They were just like an all round law firm. Um, one of them was working in Dutch, of course, which was great. So we were mostly helping um, 
Dutch clients basically deal with whatever legal assistance they needed here in Spain. And the other one was like a German law firm, but we were actually working in, in Spanish. Um, and I touched upon everything, basically, like um, civil law, some contract law. We did some, I remember, um, some flight compensation claims. Like they made us do and they made me do everything. But it was great for me because it was great to realize. And that's how I actually found sports law, because because they made me do everything. I also ended up working, for example, on a sponsorship agreement um, between an athlete and a sponsor back then that they were dealing with, which was not very common because they didn't have a lot of sports law cases because they were not a specialized sports law firm. But still, somehow the came the the case came um, to them, and that's kind of when I first realized okay, sports law is a thing because I had never heard about that um, back in law school. And yeah, so about my own firm. So that's one. That's also why I realized that because I had worked at these firms that offer all these like a multidisciplinary firms, basically. Um, I really wanted to make Sensato be different, and I really wanted to focus only on sports law and really stand out in that area. Um, yeah, so that's why basically now we offer a legal um, legal assistance and representation and dispute resolution services to athletes, coaches, um, to any stakeholder in the sports industry, basically. Yeah, wow. And, and talking of um, assistance, you were a, a legal assistant at Brezza's Law and you, you drafted lawsuits and contracts in English, Spanish and Dutch. So did you find drafting documents in different languages challenging? And what skills did you learn whilst sort of doing that in the process? Yeah, I did find it challenging. Um, I think I underestimated it a little bit in the beginning because I spoke like con conversational Spanish. Um, my English has always been, been been okay, I would say. And obviously Dutch is my native language. So I thought, okay, I'll be fine. Like I, the first day I came in there, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll draft whatever you guys need. But the phrasing is different. Like the grammar is important. Also the, the type of language you're using is very different from conversational um, language. So it was definitely challenging. Um, and actually, it's funny that nowadays, for example, because I work a lot in English um, and sometimes in Spanish here because I have some domestic clients here, it's actually much harder now for me to draft in Dutch, which is crazy. And I always whenever people tell me like, you know, when foreigners live abroad for a while and then they're like, oh, I'm having difficulties like speaking my native language. I was always like, oh, God, how can you like how can you say that? Like, it's your native language. Like, I don't believe you. I felt like they were like bragging, you know, but now I'm actually encountering the same issue. Like, I actually have much more issues um, drafting or even like writing proper um like legal emails in Dutch, I'm like finding myself like, okay, like, you know, I need a minute to like phrase this properly. So, um, so yeah, I think that's like the perks, but also the, the, the advantages and disadvantages of speaking multiple languages. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, definitely highly talented. That's for, that's for sure. And so we must talk, um, about sports law because obviously you are a sports lawyer and lots of people, you know, I speak to would, would love to be a sports law. And you've talked a bit about your sort of where it stemmed from, but where did your true passion for sports stem from and what inspired you particularly to pursue a career in sports? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I have always, like I grew up in a very, very um, football oriented family. Like they're all massive. Um, when I say football, I mean soccer, well, whatever language, whatever word you guys want to use for it. Um family. So I've always, I've grown up watching that basically every single day in the house. Um, I was on different sports teams. I always 
like being active. I was not like a particular, I was not particularly good at any specific sports. Unfortunately, I couldn't pursue a career as an athlete, even though now I've gotten into tennis. Um, and I wish I pursued that before, but I guess it's never too late for a new hobby. Um, so I always felt like it's just such a fun environment and it's so different from anything else. And for example, one thing that, that actually made me really want to pursue is it's just like the enthusiasm of the fans and the passion and the fact that sports unite so many different cultures and like basically people from different generations, different genders, different backgrounds, religions, whatever, like sports makes all those people come together. And I think that's so beautiful. And um, I remember, for example, being in, in Brazil and I was working as, um, as a volunteer at one of the favelas. And we had like a soccer project for um, for girls to to get more into sports and um, to basically just help the community a bit. And that's when I first realized like the impact that sport really has on, um, on individuals and on different societies and, and and people from all different type of backgrounds and how powerful it is. And I thought, okay, it's, if I could work in that, like it's so beautiful. Um, and even though, yeah, you may not be helping people in the same way as you would when you're not, you know, you have someone on, on death row and you're fighting for, for criminal justice and stuff, but still like, I feel like there is so much passion behind it and um, being able to fight for these causes is, is, is also really beautiful and it's, it's really fun and it's a fun context. And, um, like I love going to the stadium and, and, and feeling the different atmospheres, like especially now that I'm traveling a lot and I'm going to a lot of different matches and games, like just being there and like witnessing the, the enthusiasm of all those people is, is beautiful. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but that's basically my, my passion for sports. Absolutely. And you're, you're talking my language because I have a real passion for, for all sports, you know, rugby, football, oh. cricket, you name it. I also like my tennis as well. So I'm glad you're getting into nice. to tennis and I'm a very big Liverpool uh, FC fan and I'm hoping somehow we can do the quadruple this season, although the Premier League is slipping away Whoa. from us a little bit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Real Madrid isn't going to be easy in the final. So uh, no. we shall see. Um, but I'd love to talk about some of the hurdles you faced as a sports lawyer and how you've overcome them. You've been quite honest in saying there has been some challenges. So, you know, what have been some of those hurdles you faced and how have you overcome them? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I feel like honesty is super important. And one of the main issues, and that's directly to, touching upon um, this question that you're asking, is I think the imposter syndrome. And I talk about this quite a lot. And sorry for the people that are listening to multiple podcasts, because I always touch upon this subject. But I think it's important because one of the main hurdles, I would say, is the fact that I felt like I wasn't an expert enough, or I wasn't knowledgeable enough, or I wasn't good enough to open my own practice and to work as a sports lawyer. Um, because I'm young, maybe because I'm a woman, maybe because I haven't had 20 years of experience in law because I'm still young. Um, so I felt like that was a, a massive hurdle that I had to, had to overcome mentally myself. And that like, if I had done that before, if I guess I would have like my path would have been a bit different, but it's fine. Like I'm still young. Um, but yeah, definitely feeling like, you know, there's other people out there that are, are more um, that are, that are better at it. And like, why, why would people choose to work with me? So I think that's a main, that's, that's one of the the things I had to overcome. Then also obviously being a woman in a rather male dominated industry. And of course now women's football is becoming more and more popular and there's more and more women working in the industry. But a few years back, it wasn't really like that. And even nowadays, like the ratio is still, um, very disproportionate. So that's also something that, 
I'm trying to kind of use to my advantage now by being like different because it makes me stand out, etc. Um, but at the same time, like it's definitely not easy. Um, and and what else? And also for my um, my law firm, like in general, I think I kind of underestimated um, the. Um, the difficulty of actually building the practice and getting clients on board. Because I think I remember the first day we launched a website and stuff. I was like, okay, from now on, like, I guess the clients are just going to come to us like every day. They're going to come knocking on our door and like, we're going to be, you know, I don't have to do much. I don't have to be proactive. They're going to come to me. And it wasn't like that. Like I remember the first day I didn't have anything, anything to do. And I was like, okay, shit, I have to put myself out there, be proactive and actually like go out there and find my clients. Um, that's actually also when I started being more active on social media. Cause I realized that, cause I was never really a big fan of social media before, but now I've come to realize the power that it has to connect with people from all over the world, basically. And also to promote yourself and and that's also fine and that's also something that I had to learn that um you know I was always very cautious as to I didn't want to promote myself too much or brag too much or um I don't know I just kind of wanted to undersell my myself I guess um or downsize myself and now lately I've come to kind of you know realize that that's not how it works and that in order for people to find you you need to allow them to find you and you need to promote yourself and your um achievements and all of that so um so yeah i would say those are kind of the hurdles that i've come across yeah and you make so many great points and you're absolutely right because you know if you're not visible in the modern world you're invisible and you know we talk about this a lot on the show that you know i'm a big advocate of social media particularly for the legal community i i bang on about the importance of linkedin but also you know there's a huge legal community on instagram and tiktok and you know these are the places where you know if you embrace it and put yourself out there you'll win clients you'll build a brand and it's good for your business and good for your personal brand so I'm really glad that you uh, you touched on that and you, you do produce some really good high quality content as as well. And in May of 2018, you did work part of the Innovation Hub and Strategy and Knowledge Department for Bell FC Barcelona. So can you explain what your role was and what responsibilities you had there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I worked for the for the Innovation Hub and basically what the Innovation Hub did, well, they had different um, layers, but they just kind of wanted to find ways, I would say, to improve the industry as a whole and to come together and to share knowledge among all stakeholders instead of like gatekeeping and keeping all the information to themselves. Because obviously these big clubs, they have a lot of, I would say, not secrets, but like best practices that maybe are not um, shared with other experts and other clubs. And, um, and you know, they kind of wanted to turn that around and um, share all information with all stakeholders, but also share information with um with the world with the mainstream with the public and so we did we basically um collaborated with a lot of startups we organized uh, startups basically to try and improve services so for example player performance um you know with like um wearables and tracking devices trying to gather more knowledge and more data in order to improve their performance so we worked a lot with data analytics um but also with the sports nutritionists for example to try and um and 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 go a bit deeper into that and gain more knowledge and gain more and more under a bit better understanding of the reality of what the sports nutrition field in, in Europe was like. So we work with a lot of different clubs and try to kind of share all that information and improve everyone's best practices. Um, 
And at the same time, we also run different conferences um, here in Barcelona in, ba in basically in order, like I said, to share all that knowledge also with the mainstream public um, and in order to kind of educate and um, share the information with the next generation of, um, of professionals. Yeah, and it's such meaningful work. And uh, I'm so pleased again that you shed some light on that. So I remember when we had David Jones, the Sky Sports presenter, come onto the show and he was talking much in the same vein about, you know, way clubs are looking to try and improve the industry and push for change and best practice. And it's great that you've given some examples there. Um, I guess we think you're at Barcelona, one of the best teams arguably in the world in terms of football. Did you get the opportunity to watch uh, plenty of matches? I did. Yeah, I went to the stadium as often as I could, especially living here. I, I mean, I've always gone to the stadium ever since. Even when I lived in Holland, I, we, our family would travel to Barcelona sometimes to watch matches. So I've, I've been there um, a lot of times, but definitely while, while, while working there, it was an amazing experience for me also. It was kind of like living my my dream because I was like, a you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of FC Barcelona. Um, I've always been. So for me to be able to work there and like at the same time after work, be able to go to matches sometimes um, was amazing. Ah, oh, that's great. I was worried you were going to say you're a Real Madrid fan. So if you're a uh, Barcelona fan, that that's cool. That's okay. We haven't got any worries this year, so we're gonna we're gonna avoid you in the final. Time for a quick break from the show. You wouldn't leave a potential client waiting in your office for three days. But what about when it comes to returning potential clients' phone calls, emails, or even web inquiries? If you're not responding rapidly to those who inquire about your firm's services, you could be losing money, losing clients, and affecting your law firm's reputation. Thankfully, there's a resource from our sponsor, Clio, that can help you. Called how to grow your firm with legal client intake. It's a free guide that will show you exactly how and why you should be automating your client intake process. Download your free copy at clio.com forward slash UK forward slash free intake guide. That's clio, C-L-I-O.com forward slash UK forward slash three intake guide. Now back to the show. Okay, so we carry on sticking with football. You worked in strategy and innovation at UEFA as well. You know, what were your experiences like at working there? Yeah, so um, I was basically doing the same thing I was doing at Barca, but then at UEFA. So they kind of asked me to set up the same um, department or help them set up a system and setting up the same apartment um, as they had already at Barca because they were in close contact. That's also how I got the job. Um and it was very, it, it was amazing for me. Like, I mean, living in Switzerland, honestly, I have to say was, was difficult, especially coming from, from Spain. Um, but we're being at the headquarters there and being able to go to, for example, Champions League draw and being like in the, in the center center of, of all activities around football and all the tournaments taking place and being like in the middle of everything was an amazing experience. Um, and it was very enriching for me also to learn more about the sports industry because before I had worked at Barca, but that was obviously seeing things from a club level and from their own perspective and a club is much more um, commercial and revenue driven and then going from a club level to a federal confederational level as UEFA governing body obviously their missions and their values are very different so it was very enriching also for me and I think all that knowledge now that I gathered during those years working at Barca and UEFA um, more on like I would say the sports management side has a huge, um, adds huge value now to my work because it makes me understand the industry better and the stakeholders and what's at stake more than just, um, you know, the legal code, so to say. 
Yeah, no, and it is such, such valuable experience and that you, you you built up and to the to the sort of present day to in 2020, you did decide to combine your passion for sports, law, innovation, and entrepreneurship to be a founder of Sensato Sports Law, a boutique sports law firm, which I absolutely love, based in Barca. So can you tell us more about your firm? I know you've touched on it, but just give us a bit more and what types of matters you currently specialize in. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, we're based here in Barcelona. And one of the things that we're trying to do, because as I said before, like, obviously, we can't compete with lawyers or with law firms that have been in the industry for 20 years, because I was basically a kid back by then 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what we try to kind of differentiate ourselves in um, is in being adding different value, like I said, first of all, the fact that we have a broader understanding of the industry, but also being a bit more innovative. And as, I guess that's because I worked at, in innovation for, for those years, um, just doing things slightly different because innovation doesn't necessarily have to be about technology. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're doing things completely different, but just kind of trying to improve small processes, I guess, is what we do. So we try to communicate, for example, with our clients in their... Um, in their own native language if we can we're trying to be more forward thinking we don't do billable hours um we're trying to always be like 24 7 available on whatsapp facetime whatever it is with our clients um and we're trying to be have a very like client-centric um approach so some of the services that we offer now is basically two um two pillars it's legal assistance so anything from um drafting contracts to um advice on taxation on um for example on um training well you're not going to know these terms maybe but training compensation and solidarity payments it's like um basically the the type of payments that clubs get like financial rewards for having trained a player during their um, during their youth and then once they're transferred to another club in the future those clubs still get paid um so yeah, we do those type of things. Um, also on intellectual property and transfer assistance. So whenever players transfer from one club to another, there's the agent, but then we are like a complementary service to help them with the contract negotiations and taking care of all the legal aspects. Um, and then on, on the other hand, we do dispute re- resolution. So whenever there's a dispute between a player and a club or a player and an agent or an agent and a club or a player and a sponsor, and these disputes happen all the time, um, then we also offer dispute resolution services. Yeah, no, I can I can imagine though disputes happening quite a lot of times, particularly when there's <laughs> egos involved as as, as well. <laughs> and some money. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you mentioned there you support clients from both legal and business perspectives and you've touched on some of the clients um, that you help have there been any memorable clients to date or things that you've uh, have stuck with you since you set up yeah um i mean there's been we've dealt with so many cases already in the past i'm not a big fan of like putting names out there um unless the players like share it themselves on social media or whatever just because i feel like it's part of my like confidentiality um duty i would say but we've worked on a lot of interesting cases. Um, for example, I've worked on some doping cases, which were very interesting because I had never done that before. So obviously getting into that was like a whole different ballgame. Um, and now we're really focusing also on um, the whole NFTs, Metaverse, Web3 um, side of things. Because we feel like if we want to stand out as an innovative young law firm, and that's a space that we need to get into. So we're have, we have quite some interesting projects going on there as well. Um 
And besides that, yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of interesting cases. I just can't think of anything now off the top of my head that I would say, okay, that was really interesting. I mean, everything for me in the beginning, uh, the first time, the first few times I handled those cases, like even handling a transfer, um, you know, that was very memorable for me. So, so yeah, it's all very fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you touched on NFTs and Web3 because that's a, something that I'm super passionate as well. I, I, I launched a, a Web3 consultancy called Virtual Sanity this year, which is trying to bridge the gap between the mainstream and the metaverse. And even our Legally Speaking podcast um, will be doing our first NFT drop soon for our community. And we're hoping to get a creator a coin attached to the show and lots of sort of Web3 focused community focused things so i think uh, it's super excited times and particularly speaking to people like you and the law who are taking your businesses and from a web 2 to web 3 perspective and and all the excitement with that ahead and we touched on this um previously but the power that's of amazing Congrats. sorry for interrupting but that's really great i didn't know that yeah no it's super exciting times and i think we're all still learners you know with this and it's so new yeah, and so exactly. exciting and i remember joining one of your your zoom webinars recently where we were talking about that and it was a, a fascinating discussion but i just wanted to ask because we touched on it a bit before around you know social media and you are active and you've built up very large followings on the likes of instagram you know tens of thousands of followers you know what would you say you know you how do you use social media to build your practice attract clients and educate others about sports law yeah so that's uh that's something i'm still trying to figure out honestly to be completely honest in the beginning, I felt like I was going to use it 100% professionally. So I was literally only publishing about cases that we won or didn't win or whatever, and educating people about, okay, this is the difference between an agent and a lawyer and stuff like that. But then I kind of realized that that's, I guess, a bit too boring for Instagram, for example, that um, videos and different type of content, like also showing a bit more of your personal life that it actually makes people relate to you more and it shows them a different like facet or aspect of your life. And I guess it kind of builds like a more trustworthy relationship with the client. So then I kind of switched into more like showing a little bit more of my private life, not too much, but like different places I'm visiting, games I'm going to, doing sports and whatever. And I found that to work really well. So right now I'm just trying to keep it like a bit balanced. Um... And yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. I've just been trying to post a bit more, um, connecting with more people. So actually engaging with some people and besides Instagram, I would say, cause Instagram is great, but for me, my main, um, my main platform that I focus on, I would say is LinkedIn actually. Like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn. Um, I think there's so much potential there and especially cause it's a, it's a purely professional platform every connection could be beneficial to you in one way or another. Um, and it's just a matter of kind of trying to engage more with your connections, I think. And actually recently I launched this initiative of setting up like different time slots on Thursdays and Fridays to connect with my connections. Um, so I basically put like a Calendly link and anyone that's interested in chatting with me for like 15 minutes or whatever, they could like sign up and like, I would ask them to elaborate a little bit on the purpose of the call. And I would filter it out a little bit, but that has helped me so much already to like, you know, meet new people that I before I would have never spoken to because I have like, I don't know, like six or 7,000 connections on LinkedIn, but I probably know about 0.001% of all of them, you know? So um, it's really about trying to like tighten or deepen those relationships and publishing content that's valuable for others. So they start interacting with you. And then from there on, you kind of establish your own authority, I would say, and that eventually will lead clients to find you. 
Yeah, I agree. And and everyone who knows me at the show, LinkedIn is my my home and one of my favorite platforms as well. And I, I completely echo what you've said there and, you know, building those connections. And even, you know, we're a connection moving to a collaboration. I think collaborating with people in different forms, be it podcasting, whatever it may be. And, yeah. you know, LinkedIn is just giving so many people opportunities to become creators and community builders now. They've got newsletter features. They've got an audio feature, which actually I'm working with LinkedIn on as their version of sort of um, LinkedIn audio. They're giving people LinkedIn live. They've got creator mode. There's so many features that the platform's now releasing. So um, definitely take heed on what Jesse's saying and, you know, how lawyers and modern lawyers are utilizing that to build community, build their brands, attract clients, collaborate, all important things as we move forward in this digital online world we we live in. Um, but Jesse, as I mentioned in the intro, you keep busy. So you're also um, a lecturer. Um, yes. And so can you tell us a bit more about that? And, you know, I believe you're responsible for the module on international sports law and governance. So, you know, what do you most enjoy about teaching? Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's not something that I like had envisioned before. Um, I guess maybe also because I felt like usually teachers or professors are like older and with more like experience. Um, but I think one of the things that that these type of schools like about me, because I do several guest lectures in different schools as well, is the fact that I'm I'm like relatable. And that's also what I enjoy most is the fact that I kind of try to make the students relate to me as much as possible and see that, you know, you don't have to be six years old to be uh, working in this industry that, you know, by taking or making certain decisions, you can also... Um, develop your legal career. And so I enjoy sharing my journey and my learnings and my experience with others, because I feel like, and especially the things that I wish I was taught myself in law school or back in university or during my master's or whatever, like, especially also more the practical side of things. Cause I feel like there's a lot of focus in school and all the theory and like, all of that is great. But in order to kind of go out there and make it in the real world like you need some practical advice as well and so i always really enjoy sharing those type, like tips and and tricks and best practices and whatever with the with the students yeah absolutely couldn't couldn't agree more it's great to have the theory but you also need the practical and the reality as well and you've also created two online courses to share your knowledge and experience and industry insights so can you tell us more about the courses yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so basically th that kind of happened very naturally as well. Um, I just got so many at some point when I started posting more on LinkedIn, I got so many messages from so many students asking me for tips on um, getting into the industry, either of, you know, in general, the sports industry or in particular into sports law. Again, because it's something that is not really... Um, there's not much awareness about it. a lot of people don't even know what sports law is. And there's most law schools don't teach you anything about sports law, or the opportunity of becoming a sports lawyer. Um, and so it's, it's quite difficult. Like, even if you Google, like, you know, how to become a sports lawyer or how to work in sports, it's not that straightforward. So I think people really like to speak to other people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so in the beginning I started like messaging all these people back one-on-one -on -one, or then copy pasting messages. And they would ask me to get on a call to go into more detail. And I just didn't have the time, but at the same time, I feel, felt like I wanted to help them because I had been in their shoes myself. Like I had been there messaging others, asking them like, what does your day-to-day -day look like as a sports lawyer? What does sports law even mean? Like which areas of law does sports law touch upon? How to build a network in the industry, how to find clients and all of that. Um, so I felt like, okay, how can I scale my, um, my learnings and share those with others basically um, on a bigger scale? And so that's when I came across online courses. 
Um, and so, yeah, I have one course that is called the Sports Career Guide, which is basically an online course for anyone that wants to work or aspires to work in the sports industry, but needs like practical insights and advice on the different job prospects that you have in, in, in working in sports. Cause I think there's a lot of people that don't even know like the different options you have, um, how to get there, how to build your personal brand, how to network, how to, you know, um, how to stand out in job interviews and all of that. And then the other one is focused really on sports law, which is basically like a course on how to become a sports lawyer. So I share my own journey, everything that I learned, everything I did to get to where I am today and everything I, ha- I wish I had known before. And again, this one is also like, it has some theory. It has, like I speak about the most important sports regulations and FIFA and all of that, but it also has like 50% focuses on the more practical side of things. Um, and all the things that I mentioned before about how to actually get into it, because like you said, knowledge is great, but something more is required. And also a lot of different soft skills are required, such as networking, which is again, something they don't teach you in school. Um, and it's certainly undervalued by many. So, so yeah, that's how those courses came, came about. And so far I've had very positive feedback so that's great yeah absolutely and i would strongly encourage people if you are thinking about this uh to check out those courses and i guess just before we 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 sort of wrap up you know what would be you mentioned it's hard to google you know how to become a sports lawyer and you know there'll be a lot contained in those courses that you've mentioned but you know what would be some of your top tips for people you know maybe aiming to be a sports lawyer or maybe looking to transition into sports law what would be some of like your top three tips yeah, so I always say that to become a sports lawyer, you basically need like the perfect cocktail or not the perfect cocktail, but you need to work on establishing yourself in three different areas. So you definitely need knowledge. So that means, you know, you can consult free resources. Like, for example, you can actually read like FIFA decisions online to get a better understanding of uh, what a FIFA decision looks like. Then you need experience or relevant sports experience, um, which is uh, it's difficult to find because a lot of sports law firms, they may not be hiring and there's not that many of them, but that's why you need to fi- find a way to stand out. Not least, you need a network. So you need to somehow, and you can start from scratch because I had zero connections. Like my, none of my family members work in sports. I didn't know anyone that worked in sport. I had zero um, advantages or whatever. And somehow I managed to build a network um, and I'm still building it. And that's what people need to start doing as well. So for example, being active on LinkedIn, sharing posts, um, you know, publishing your own opinion, starting a blog, doing anything to attract people to connect with you or to want to connect with you um, and then proactively reach out to mentors and connect with those. So yeah, I would say like a combination of knowledge, experience and network. Yeah, really sound advice. And you're absolutely right, because as cliche as it sounds, you know, your network is your net worth. So the more that you invest in that and building out those networks, the more opportunities that will come your way. Um, Jesse, if our listeners, which I'm sure they will, will certainly be inspired following our conversation today, or they want to know more about sports law or your firm, what's the best way for them to contact you? Feel free to shout out any social media handles or website links, and we'll all also share them with this, with this episode for you too. Perfect. Yeah. So um, I love connecting with aspiring sports lawyers. Like I absolutely love it. So please do reach out to me. Um, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, and I have my own website. And it's basically my full name. So it's jessieenglehart.com. That's my website. You can contact me through there. You can check out my course through there, my law practice, all of that. And then on LinkedIn, on Instagram, I'm the same. So it's just Jesse Engelhart. Um, Engel 
not le but el well we can um we can share the links and, and yeah i look forward to connecting with you guys yeah absolutely jesse and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show so on behalf of all of us from the legally speaking podcast I'd like to wish you lots of continued success with your career your firm and future pursuits but for now from all of us over and out Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like the content here, why not check out our world-leading content and collaboration hub, the Legally Speaking Club, over on Discord. Go to our website, www.legallyspeakingpodcast.com for the link to join our community there. Over and out.